that was, uh, that was awesome, seeing those three. Can you just cheer for them one more time? Hey, girls. Excited for each of them and the decision they just made. It's huge. And um, them and their family are very excited about it. No kidding. Backstage, they were just like, they were so thrilled, so excited to be able to make this a public thing that they were, they were all in for Jesus. So anyway, we had a cool prayer time with him in the back too and excited that you guys could see that and participate with us. Um, welcome all of you online as well. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, one more thing. Last service, we did a baptism for a lady named Natalie. Natalie found us three years ago because she came here to a funeral. And for the last three years, she's been watching online, and today was the first time she was in a service. She came so she could be baptized at community. And so we're, we're seeing God do things in different people's lives in different ways. And uh, if you've ever wondered, is it worth it for the effort to do online stuff? <laughs> Don't ask me that. I'll slap you, you know? So it's good stuff. So God, God is moving and working in different ways. Um, it was during our 1130 service last week that my voice completely tanked. And this whole week has been one of me getting it back. It's still not quite there. I still sound like I'm in puberty right now. Um, yeah, it's a little weird. We made it through the last service. Hopefully, we'll make it through this one just fine. Uh, but we're getting there. And we got a lot of ground to cover, so I just need to dive uh, right into this. But before we get into this week's lesson, last week we started this whole series. This is for everyone. And Easter was amazing, no doubt about that. Let's just take a minute and watch a little bit about last week. It was, it was an amazing weekend. It really was. Let me tell you a couple details. We had 29 people make the decision and get baptized last week on the spot. Like, yeah, none, none of those were lined up ahead of time. That was just all like, hey, this is what God says. Are you in? And 29 people made that decision. Five more now this weekend. That gets us up to around 46, 47 this year of people who've made that decision right here at Community. It never gets old. It's always exciting to see new life happen, and we're, we are excited about that. Um, we had 1,852 people in person in our four services, plus everybody online. And uh, so that may have been for us, aside from the times we've done Easter at the stadiums and at the bowl, those kind of events, that may have been the most we've ever had on our property in one service or one weekend. And you guys were a part of that. If you were here at the 10 o'clock service, that was crazy, all right? So just so you know, we have 475 chairs set up in here and we're pretty full today. Like it's, it, both services have been packed. But last week during the 10 o'clock service, we had over 100 people jammed into two classrooms in our overflow room. And uh, so that one service with 475 chairs, we had 586 people, not counting kids. So I just want to say, 
I want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for praying. And thank you for serving. Probably nearly 150 people served in uh, the parking lot, security, cafe, greeting, ushering, kids ministry. Like it was, it was so awesome to see you and your smiling faces all the way around the campus. So thank you guys for that as well. In fact, right now, um, I was at the beginning of the service. I was down at our next step dessert. We actually moved one to Sunday to try to get more people that way. And we have, it's, it's a bunch of people down there who are new to community, wanted to know more. And so right now, Donnie's teaching them down there. I introduced it. And then he was up here. And then I, he went, I, okay, I then he was down. I'm up here. Bam. All right. So we got a lot going on. We got a lot going on today. And I need to dive into this real fast. So last week, I gave you a bunch of signs. This is a big one for us. This is, this is why we, we have this sign up here. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. So you're welcome. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your social economic background. Any of that kind of stuff. This is for everyone. Like God, his, his invitation, his love is for everyone. And so we put out the welcome sign and said, that's what community is about. And we wanted you to know that and, and kind of invest in that with us by, by sharing your life with others. All right. So last week we were there and then we said this, after he explains Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, the people say, okay, we believe you. Like we believe who Jesus said he is. Like, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about these two things right here, and then this is when people, 29 of you last week, got baptized. This was the response. On this day, the day the church starts in Acts chapter 2, so Jesus lives the perfect life, dies this sacrificial death for us, is buried, rose again on the third day. That's Easter. We celebrate that. Then like about 40 some days later, we have the day of Pentecost and Acts chapter two. All these people are in Jerusalem. The church starts. That's when this happens. And 3,000 of the people listening get baptized. 3,000 people the very first day. So the church is launched and the church does amazing things for centuries. The, the, the church has impacted and encouraged the culture in so many different ways. Um, last service, I asked them, like, give me some ways. I don't have time for that, so forget it. But I'm going to tell you some things that the church has done for culture. So let me just list some of them off. Hospitals, convalescent centers, orphanages, music, art, higher education, uh, elevating the role of women in society. That's, that's, a church, that's a church thing. That's what Jesus did. Arranging the table so that people of, of different backgrounds and different colors of skin and different races and different ethnicities could all gather on the same table and participate in communion. That's a church thing. Like all these things the church has done through the centuries. Now, sometimes the church doesn't get it right. Sometimes the church blows it. And it's a really simple why. <laughs> because we're the church. <laughs> And sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we mess it up. But the church, God's idea is, is an amazing thing. And then fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, that early church rapidly grew and moved beyond Jerusalem to other places in the world and radically changed the culture it was a part of. And my question is, we see today a broken culture. How do we get the church to do that? And there's four things at the end of Acts chapter 2 that the church does. Now, these are not the only things, but there's four things listed in one verse. And so we, we could say it this way, the, the church grew and exploded and did all these amazing things because the Holy Spirit led them and empowered them. And we pray for the very same thing. God, by your spirit, move and work in us, work through us in our community. But there's four things they did, and those four things we can do. We can do these things. 
And so it shows up in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So 3,000 people are baptized. Then it says this, they, who? The people who just started the church, these 3,000 people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is our next four weeks right here. We may not cover the subjects like you think we're going to cover them, but this is what we're going to be looking at for four weeks. The apostles' teaching literally means, for us today, the New Testament. Because it was the apostles who were sharing the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was like, these guys are, are sharing that. And then, then the book of Acts is written. And like, this is how the church gets going, gets started. And then all these other letters we read about in the New Testament are the apostles writing to churches and church leaders. Like, this is how we're going to do this. So this, I want you to see this. They devoted themselves to this. We, we could say it this way. We're going to devote ourselves to the Bible. You know, Old Testament, New Testament, these people were all Jews when the church began. They had the Old Testament. They knew God's plan, the sacrificial system. They knew that the Messiah someday would come and give his life for them. And so Jesus fulfills all of that. And then they had the New Testament. But, but we, we, we need both. We need all of it. Right? So they devoted themselves to the Bible. Let me give you a couple of verses about the Bible. The Bible, talking about the Bible. Here we go. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the divine soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is not just the best-selling book in human history, which it is. It's not just a book. It's alive and active. The Bible, the pages of the Bible, intersecting with our heart as the Holy Spirit then teaches and leads us. Like the, the point of the Bible, let me just say it this way. If you get nothing else, get this. The point of the Bible is not information. The point of the Bible is transformation. He wants to change us. God wants to change us from the inside out. He invites us into a relationship, and then he gives us like the owner's manual. He gives us the playbook. He's like, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to understand about me. He's like, the Bible is given to, to reveal him to us so we can understand him. But it's not just about information. It's about transformation. So in Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're taught all kinds of stuff, but we need to renew our mind with the truth of God's word. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have, we have four commitments. We talk about it. Not, not the same things we're going to be looking at the next four weeks. There's more than four things that we could commit ourselves to, but we've broken it down in different ways. One of the ways we break it down at our church is this. We use the word epic, E-P-I-C, epic. And then the first thing is every day with Jesus. And here's what we mean by that. That we would spend some time every day in the pages of his word. Every day in prayer. Every day spending some time with Jesus. We want to listen to him. We want to talk to him. If this is a relationship, which it is, we want to spend time with him. I mean, can you imagine a relationship like in a marriage where you get married? I do. I do. Ah, rice and everything's thrown at you as you walk out. And you never talk to them again, ever. You know, some of you are like, that would actually be nice. No, don't, don't, don't go over there. Don't go there. No, that's not a relationship, okay? That's an arrangement. It's not a relationship. No, we're going to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to spend time and talk to him. But you're like, some of you, wait a minute. Read the Bible? That sounds about as exciting as reading an owner's manual for my car. It's dry. It's, it's dusty. It's like archaic. I mean, is it, is it even relevant in 2023? Like, that, that's some of the questions people have. In fact, I asked you last week on a poll, 
What questions do you have? And so I, I grouped some of them together. And there's no way I could handle all of them. There's some really, really good questions. But I, but I grouped them together, and I want to address some of those. But first, let me show you a survey I, f- I found. This came across my eyes uh, a couple weeks ago. And it said this. If somebody reads the Bible one day a week, as opposed to somebody who reads it never, not a big change. Somebody reads it two days a week, not a big change. Somebody reads it three times a week, not a big change. Four times a week, all of a sudden, massive change in character and behavior. I don't know why it's four. It's four and more, four, five, six, seven. It's like, if you read it four more days a week, really change begins to happen in your life. And so here's what, they, here's what some of the charts look like. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. The red means we don't read it at all. The yellow is maybe one, zero to th- one to three days a week. The blue is like four days or more a week. So you can see in our country, as a culture, we don't read it that much. By, by the way, just looking, I, I kind of like stats sometimes, but this one scared me. If 71.3% of our college-age students aren't reading the Bible at all, how susceptible are they to the crazy thoughts and ideas of this world today? Okay, so we need to be in the Word of God because we need His truth. He, he's the Creator. We'll come back to that. But here's the next question. Well, what, what about born-again Christians? Well, there's still a bunch of them that don't read the Bible at all. And there's a whole lot more that they read it some. And then there's, there's more than the other way that read it at least four times a day. But here's what I want you to see. This is really cool. Teenagers read their Bible. Like 37% of them read it four days or more. Teens, keep it up. I'm proud of you right there. That's cool, right? But he's just saying, for these people, and here's why I bring this up. Four days or more, that's when they saw the change. And I don't know how they came to this conclusion, but they, they looked at several behaviors and they said this. If you are reading your Bible four times a week or more, you are 57% less likely to get drunk. I don't know how they figured this out. 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 61% less likely to be involved in pornography. 74% less likely to be gambling. So here's what they were saying. You read your Bible two days a week, you look pretty much like the world. Four days a week, change begins to happen, and you, it's, it's visible. We can see it. doesn't mean we're perfect. It's like these are not 100%, 100%, 100%. It's like we still struggle, but it's like if you're reading your Bible four times a week or more, you are more likely to change these, these basic behaviors the Bible talks about. Okay? So because it's changing our, our agenda and our motives, then that shows up in our behavior. But this is the positive side of it. I love this. You are 228% more likely to share your faith. You are 231% more likely to be making disciples. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more time you've got to be talking about it. You can't keep that to yourself. It's too good, right? So you you want to share that. You want to talk to other people about that. G.K. Chesterton, famous Christian author, was asked one time at a conference or something, if you were stranded alone on a deserted island, what book would you have? And everybody's going, he's going to say the Bible. He's going to say the Bible. Nope. He says, if I were stranded on a deserted island, I could only have one book. The one book I would want is Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> I want to get off the island, right? I want a book that's going to help me get off the island. I'm going to tell you what, there is a book that's going to help you get off this island. And spend eternity with God. Somebody said B-I-B-L-E is basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) So it's not a bad way to look at the Bible. It's like it is the book for us to get off this island and spend eternity with him. But also to know what to do while we're here on this island. 
So I took all your questions, I broke them into a couple categories, and so here, here's one way I'm going to say it. I can trust the Bible. A bunch of your questions had to do with this kind of stuff. I can trust the Bible. I'm going to show you some, some key reasons why. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Bible is inspired by God, what does that mean? Well, different people were writing it, but somehow God, by his spirit, was guiding them. He wrote through their personality, through their experiences, but, but God was, was working to write what we needed even still today in 2023. So th this is a big part of this, and I'm going to explain it with some, some factual evidence to help you understand that we can trust the Bible, okay? So a couple of phrases. One is God breathed. I'll show you this verse in a little bit. Sometimes it's translated inspired. But this idea that, that the word of God came from God um, could be summed up this way too. So in the very beginning, we, when we read in Genesis, it says there's a father, there's a son, there's a Holy Spirit. Um, when, when we get to Christmas and Jesus becoming a baby, we know that Jesus didn't start existing then. He pre-existed that, but he took on a bodily form, a physical form, a human form, so he could serve us and go to the cross for us. So he existed before that, right? Well, while Jesus is walking on earth, while he's teaching, doing ministry, and he's tempted, because it says he's tempted like we are, when he's tempted, guess how he answers it every time? With the word of God. It like flowed out of him. In fact, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes from 22 of them. What does that mean? It means he's you know, validating. Validating? That's not even a word. Validating what, what this Old Testament is saying. He uses characters in the Bible and talks about them as they were real people. And the skeptics today would say, well, I have a problem with this person or this person. It just seems too much like fantasy. People like Adam and Eve, Noah, Jonah, Jesus talked about all of them as actual people who existed. Like the word of God flowed through Jesus in a way you could see that he understood this, this Bible, this, this word of God and how it all fits together. All right? Well, it's one story. So the, this is important because the Bible was written by 40 different people over the period, the span, the, I'm sorry, the period, the span of 1,500 years, it was written on three different continents, 40 different people, 1,500 years, three different continents, and yet it has one clear theme and story that runs through it all. See, this, this is God at work through people. Like we said, God breathed, God inspired, and so God is writing his story through people, but it's the story that he wants us to know because he's wanting us to get to know him. Another thing is there's historical manuscripts. There, there's actual evidence. Some, some of you are like, so far this sounds good, except like where's the, where's the beef? You know, like where's the evidence? We have over 5,800 complete Greek manuscripts written on scrolls, like 5,800 of them copied over time. And this is important because some of the copies we have may have been like a thousand years after the time of Christ, but we also have some that go right back there earlier. And when you compare the one that was written in 150, it was copied then, to the one that's copied in 1100 AD, and you find that they're the same thing, like same, like, oh, okay, it has been accurately copied. I can trust the Bible. Okay. 5,800 complete manuscripts. There's a guy named Homer. He's a Greek philosophy guy. He wrote the Iliad. 
uh, maybe the most well-documented literature from Greek literature. There's 643 manuscripts of the Iliad. No one questions the Iliad. No one questions the existence of, of Homer. Why? There's 643 manuscripts. Wait, how many did I tell you there were of the New Testament? 5,800. And then partial, partial, we have over 20,000 manuscripts that have been discovered. Some of them going clear back to 90 AD. So for example, the earliest one we have looks like it's part of the book of John. And they date it back to 90 AD. They, they know that's when this was. Which is interesting because scholars know that John wrote the book of John between 70 and 90 AD. So we have a copy of it that's within just years of when he actually originally wrote it. And it's the same section that we see later on copied, a thousand years later, copied on another manuscript. So, so you can trust it. That, that's what we're saying. Okay, Check this out. There's archaeology. Archaeology is, is the digging up of old stuff. That's the technical ter terminology. The digging up of old stuff. So some people were like, for years, like, I don't believe the Bible because it always talks about this nation of the Hittites. And there is no place else in human history do we have any record of anybody called the Hittites. So the Bible obviously is just making stuff up. Until 1911, 1912. Right in there is this German archaeologist named Hugo Winkler. Uh, if you're a fan of Happy Days, you know the Fonzie was Henry Winkler. Absolutely no relation. Doesn't matter. All right. So in 1911, this guy Hugo, he finds 10,000 clay tablets in a place they later discovered was the capital city of the Hittite nation. They just started reading and they figured out what was going on. And, oh, by the way, the Bible was right. Again, every time the Bible is dug up in earth in some kind of historical archaeology kind of excavation, the Bible is proven right every single time. So some of you may have heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody hear of them? Now, let me tell you why they were a big deal. So there were some people who believe that Jesus said he, he fulfilled all these prophecies and then they wrote the Old Testament. Because we didn't have any manuscripts that went back before the first century. And so some people would say, no, he didn't fulfill all these prophecies. They just wrote the story after he lived. That's why it looks like that. Except the Dead Sea Scrolls came up. So this is after Hugo Winkler. This is years after that. In the, 19, in the middle of the 1900s, this, this, this group, they found these Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, this is what's important. This was found in a, in a civilization that they knew lived to 300 years before Jesus. And one of the things, besides other scriptures from the Old Testament they found, they found a complete, a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. So then you take that copy and you, co and you compare it to these other copies we have that were copies from hundreds of years later, and you know what they found out? It's the same thing. It has been accurately copied over time. Now, every now and then you're going to hear a college professor say something like this. There are over 20,000 mistakes in the Bible. Well, here, here's how they get that number. Let's say in the first century, somebody copies it down. Their pen runs out of ink, right? As they're making a comma, they make a period. So the next guy goes, well, that shouldn't be a period. That should be a comma. So he makes a comma. Now, every time it's copied after that, mistake, 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 and they just keep tallying it up. There are not mistakes in the Bible. The, the content we know is accurate. And by the way, there's two places 
in the Bible that are in question. And that just means that when we first started translating the Bible into English, like the King James Version in 1611, when we first started to translate, we only had manuscripts that went back so far. And then now we found them go way back, when like in the first, second century. And so they're comparing that and they're saying, everything else is the same except there are these two parts that we don't see way back here. One's the end of the book of Mark in your Bible. It's going to show you what verses. And another one's in part of John chapter 8. But we know where they are. And it's, a, it's not saying that they weren't in the original Bible. We just don't see them in the early manuscripts, so chances are they weren't, but they don't change anything for us. The rest of the Bible, like, no, we, we can trust in this book that we have that we call the Bible. We, we know that, all right? Prophecies. Yeah, I mentioned Jesus. He fulfilled 330 prophecies about where he's going to be born. Born of a virgin. Wow, that's a big prophecy. Um, so then it, it talks specifically about his life, ministry, his death. It literally gives details about his crucifixion. And at the time of the prophecy, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. Seven, 800 years before Jesus. And then here he comes and he's crucified. And the description is so accurate. 330 prophecies. By the way, one mathematician looked at the probability for one person fulfilling just eight. Okay, not 330, just eight. And here's the number. Now, for those of you who are not good at math, I'm going to go slow. Hundreds, thousands, millions, like one million. So you're saying I got a chance, right? One in a million, that's where that, any dumb and dumber fans here? Come on, people. All right, so millions, billions, trillions, gazillions. No, it's quadrillions. So he's saying one in 100 quadrillion chance of fulfilling eight of them. Jesus fulfilled 330 of them. This is evidence that we can trust the Bible. So here, here's this phrase. All scripture is God breathed, inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, a couple more things, and then we're really going to get into this, okay? So I'm just going to say, I'm breaking this in half. So the first half feels like a classroom. It just does. Second half, I'm going to start messing with you. I mean, preaching. That's what it's called. But here's a couple of important things to know. With all the evidence that we just talked about, here's one of the conclusions. It's, it's not changed over time. That's an honest question. That's an honest question. Is this really the Bible we have today that God wanted us to have? And we, we look at over time, all the evidence, all this stuff, we're like, yes, 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 it, it really is. And translations, let me, let me say a couple things about translations, because this question comes up regularly. Why are these all these different, tra and which translation should I look at? So I recently had a guy tell me that I should use the King James Version because it's the one Jesus used. Okay, I'm going I'm to go slow, so, so pick it, get this, right? King James Version was written, translated from Greek and Hebrew into English in 1611. Jesus, first century, and did not speak English, but Aramaic and Greek, all right? So it wasn't the one Jesus and the disciples used. It was just the first English translation. Here's the problem with the King James Version today. Fine translation except for this. Ain't nobody talk like that now. 
Who says, suffer the little children to come unto me? Like in King James, that's how it says what Jesus said when he said, let the little kids, says, suffer the little children. I'm like, CPS better be called now. (laughs) Suffer the little children? Jesus, are you serious? We don't talk like that. In fact, (coughs) excuse me. The King James Version, written in 1611, wasn't even written in the street language of people in England at that time. It was written in the higher education level of, like, most people didn't even talk like that. That was like proper, like, Shakespearean English, not how people talked on the street. So where do we get our translations today? So now with more manuscripts and we have more confidence that what we have is really true, like, the committees typically translate the Bible. Let me give you four that I use and I like. I'm not, like, there's other ones out there that are good, but I'm just going to tell you the four I use. The most literal word-by-word translation is ESV, English Standard Version, ESV. It doesn't read smoothly uh, because it's a word-by-word. So let's just say this. If you translated a Spanish song into English, it doesn't fit the melody, right? It doesn't, doesn't work the same way because you're translating it into a different language. You translate Greek into English, and you're going word by word. When it's translated, it may not read smoothly, right? So a lot of what translators do now is they, they actually translate sentence by sentence. Like, so here's what it said and meant. How would we say that same thing in English? Okay, so let me give you a couple of examples. So ESV, and then NLT, New Living Translation, is maybe the easiest for me to read. I like that one. And then NIV, New International Version. Um, New New International Version is the most used translation in the planet. And so we use it a lot here. I don't think it's the best translation. I just think it's a good one. And a lot of people have that. So we use the NIV. And then one more, I like the message. Now, the message is not a a, a committee translation. It's not a word-by-word translation. It's not even a sentence-by-sentence translation. It's a kind of like paragraph-by-paragraph. And Eugene Peterson, the guy who did it, he translated the entire Bible. He said this, If I were to meet somebody who'd never been to a church before, and I wanted to explain what the Bible's trying to say, I would say it like this. And here comes out this paragraph, right? And so it's not a a word-by-word translation, but it's it's like a thought and concept translation. And it's just interesting to read. Sometimes it gives me like fresh ideas and and what, you know, God was getting at with that particular verse. And so I like to see all of those from the very most literal to kind of this, this paraphrase of what he's trying to say in straight language. I like to see all those. So there's some important things to know, but now I'm going to start getting into it. I can follow the Bible. I can trust it, but I, I literally need to follow it. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Like I can follow, it's going to illuminate the way for me. It shows me what way to go. And there's a phrase I want you to get. I want you to pound this into your head and into your heart. Here it is. Biblical authority. Everybody say that. Biblical authority. Here, here's our choice. We can either pull, 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 pull stuff from the Bible that we like like that, that would help me. Ooh, that would help me. Ooh, that would encourage me. That, that would help me. I can pull stuff from the Bible and make my life better, or I can submit to the authority of the Bible. That's two different things, people. And a lot of Christians in America just grab stuff out of the Bible they like. That's why we have those promises books on our, on our toilet. You know, you go into somebody's house, they have a couple of magazines, they have promises of God, something to read. Oh, God loves you and God cares about you. There's nothing in there that says, and you will have trouble, which is also a promise, but it's not in there, right? 
Biblical authority. I'm not just grabbing stuff that will help me. No, I'm going to put myself under its authority. And so I'm going to give you a verse. I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe a favorite verse of a lot of people. says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him. Obey him. Submit. You're coming under his authority. And he will make your paths straight. So I'm going to trust him and submit. Trust and obey but we have options. So one of my options when it comes to like worldview, like I'm I'm telling you, I chose biblical authority as my worldview, but there are other options. So you could say, I just, I go with my heart, man. I go with my gut. You know, I I come up to a big decision in life and it's like, how do I feel about this? And the Bible says, (laughs) your heart is deceitful. Sometimes it's going to get it right. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes your heart can get you into big trouble. I don't need you to show your hands for that one. Like most of us can relate. Our heart has gotten us into trouble. And that, that's one thing that can happen. Another thing we can do is like knowledge. I'm, I'm going I'm to learn. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. But I know that my knowledge is limited. So I'm going to pull the, the knowledge from other limited people. You know what you have now? Limited knowledge. It's, it's still, that's all you have. You have a lot of it, but it's still limited. And so some people, you know, I'm going to pull the I'm going to get more education. I'm going to do I want to do this. Those things aren't bad, but, but biblical authority is different. So, so well, what I do is I, I just, I pay attention to the culture because the culture's on it. Like, the world, things change, and the culture's on it, man. And I pay attention to those people on Instagram and TikTok, and uh, they, they shape the way I'm going to look at the world. And some people, you, you think that's funny. We would maybe never say that, but we let that shape the way we look at the world if we're not careful. Some people say, well, what I do is I use religion. And, I, and I, this, I love this from Christianity. This is good. But I also like this from Buddhism. That's good. Ooh, this is from Hindu. I like that. And so I pick and choose, and I, I allow the religions of the world to help shape the way I look at the world. Here, here's the problem with that. If I'm picking and choosing from each religion what I'm going to take from it, who's God? I am. Because I'm making the ultimate decision of what I'm going to listen to and what I'm going to allow to shape my world, my life, right? So th- this is why this is so important, and, and this is where I'm going to move from just teaching into preaching. Are you ready? So are you ready? Okay, here we go. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention some things about biblical authority, and you don't have to say anything, but just watch for some of the discussions our culture is having today and just know where God stands on these things. So for example, we could come from a cosmic accident. I don't know. Let me just come up with a phrase. Um, Big bang. I just off the top of my head. We could just be the result of some cosmic explosion, some accident. And then millions of years later, great grandma started walking out of the mud. And then, you know, then I come along later on. Guess what? I have no purpose for existence. I am an accident. I am an accident. If I have no purpose and I am an accident, it really doesn't matter what I do. I just want to do what makes me feel good. And if I kill you and that makes me feel good, then that's fine because there's really no literal moral absolute. We're just an accident. So that's one worldview and all kinds of things. Shoot off of that one. This is what the Bible says. In fact, you go back to Genesis, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, talking to say, let us make man in our image. You were created on purpose for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to live in existence and in harmony and in a relationship with a living God that lasts beyond this life here, but into eternity. You are made for eternity. You're going to spend eternity one place or the other, but he made you to have eternity and spend eternity with him. He made us in his image. We're not the same thing as flowers and birds and fish. We were different and unique in order to have a relationship with him. You're not a cosmic accident. You are made on purpose for a purpose. That, that's a big difference. The Bible also says in Psalm 139, that God knit you together in your mother's womb and planned your days for you. Listen to this. According to God, according to the word of God, life begins at conception. That's not popular, but that's what God says. He knows a little bit more about this than, than you and I. In fact, when, when God says, back to Genesis, when he says, let us make man in our image, he says, male and female, he created them. I know, I know the discussions today about gender is crazy and confusing, and there are people who are confused. But according to the Bible, and that's my authority, we were made either a man or a woman. Now, we can have feelings, and we could be, like, wondering and all that, but we're either a man or a woman. That's what the Bible says. So, I'm, I'm, for one, I'm not a fan of having biological men compete against women. I think it's the dumbest thing ever invented, right? But why? Well, just because I feel that way. No, because God said, I made you male and female, and there are differences, and those differences were made for us as he knit us together in our mother's womb on purpose. Like, we're not an accident. You're not an accident. Like, he crafted you, made you the way that you are. Do you see how God's worldview is filtered through the Bible? And then as we, if we latch onto that, whatever our culture says this week, which, by the way, is going to be net different than next week and different from the next week, God is going to be able to speak truth no matter what our culture is saying. And we can hang on to the hem and, and work through all of that. So in James 1.22, it says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. In Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? It means they did it. They put it into action. They lived it out. And the world was changed because of that. They devoted themselves the apostles' teaching. I'm going to give you just a few things and we're done. I'm going to give you some, some handles. Like So let's say I believe the word of God. I, I believe the Bible came from God and it's the authority for my life, but I, I don't read it. I don't, I don't even know where to start. What do I do? Let me just give you a couple things to hang on to. We can trust it. We can follow it, but we need to read it. By the way, you know, it's like, I love this like idea. I saw some stats this week. It said, you know, how many, what's the percentage of American people who have a Bible? And the percentage is huge, you know, like 90 some percent of people have a Bible. 80 some percent have at least four Bibles in their house. That doesn't mean we read it. Most of us have the Bible on our phone. We can listen to it. We can read it. It's like it's available all the time, but we need to read it, okay? What translation? Um, don't, don't get hung up on this, but just read one that's easy for you to understand. That's why I don't recommend King James Version. New King James is a different story. It's, it's way easier to read, and it talks more like we talk today, all right? So 
The, the, the King James Version written in 1611 was not the one that Jesus used, so just get that out of your mind, all right? He was Aramaic and Greek. That's how he spoke. What translation? Uh, one you can understand. Where to start? I wouldn't start in the beginning. It's, 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 not, it's not like any other book. It's actually 66 books all put together. So I would say it, it's divided into Old Testament and New Testament. If you're just starting, I would start in the New Testament part. So when you look at the table of contents, there's you know, 39 here and 27 out here. Start with this section. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all t- telling the story of Jesus' life. And I, I'm a huge fan of the book of John, not because that's my name. I just my favorite gospel. But I think if you're brand new, maybe the book of Luke. Because Luke is a doctor writing to skeptics. <laughs> And, and he, he explains things in a way that might help you if this is all new to you. After you read Luke, just start reading Acts because he wrote that too. It's going to sound a lot alike and it's going to make some sense to you. Where do you start? I would start in one of those gospels. If you don't know for sure, just start in Luke and just start reading and maybe just do a chapter a day. You know, the goal is not to get through it in the day. The goal is to spend time with Jesus. So even if that's just a few verses and then just sit on that, think on that, pray on that right? But maybe a chapter a day, start working your way through. How do I pray when it comes to the Bible? Okay, as you open it, just pray this prayer. God, speak to me. I want to spend time with you. Just speak to me. You can pray that. Simple. And what to share? Uh, Two things. You're going to have questions so share them with people you trust. I, I, I encourage you, don't jump to Google, don't jump to YouTube, don't jump to TikTok to find the answers to heavy biblical questions. Jump to somebody you trust, because there's a lot of fake stuff out there. Jump to somebody you trust, go to them, and share your questions. But also, when you have good news, share that with everybody. Share that with everybody, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm wrapping this up. If you're watching online, you have questions, you want to make a decision, you want to follow Jesus, you want to be baptized, office at community.cc. Just email us. Let us know that. Or you can use the app. All of you here, even online, if you have the app, just fill out the communication card. Let us know the decision you're making. If you want to pray with somebody, you're going through something right now, we want you to know you're, you're not alone. Just make your way up here after I'm done praying. Just make your way up here. People will meet you here. But let me close this out in a time of prayer. And maybe just encourage you, encourage you to just keep the Bible as the authority for your life. Even when the Bible uh, doesn't sound cool in our culture. One last thing and I'm going to pray. When you share these things in our culture today, you do not have to be obnoxious or an idiot to do it. And please don't be. My example for sharing the truths of the word of God, this biblical authority, my example for that is Jesus, not Westboro Baptist. If you know Westboro Baptist, they're famous for having these big signs, God hates fags. Their website is godhatesfags.com. It's a church. That is not my model. Jesus is. When Jesus encountered somebody who was far from him, who was depraved, who was broken, who was a sinner, he spent time with them. He loved them, even though they were broken. Now, we are going to probably have some difficult conversations in the years ahead in our culture. 
But the way we go about it might just make all the difference in the world. That's the way we talk about it on social media, especially the way we talk about it face-to-face. So my encouragement to you is learn from the Word of God, and when it's time to share it, you share it with the heart of God. Let's pray. God, we do, we do live in a corrupt and depraved world. They said that in the first century. We can say it again now. And God, we want to place ourselves under your authority, but not in order to be obnoxious or better than anyone. So God, give us your love for the world. Your love, even in the midst of its brokenness, even in the midst of its sin, help us, God, to show them who you are. In fact, you even said it, Jesus, they will know you're my followers if you love. Help us do that better than we ever have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. Next week, we'll continue. Love you.